Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the Strategists. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Ishit Fushajani and Brian Landerman. Today, we talk about what it means to be data-driven, which is something that impacts all areas of the business. So today, we're talking about uh, becoming a data-driven enterprise. So Ashit, can we start off and can you maybe explain a little bit why becoming data-driven is important? Yeah, sure. And that's a question that uh, we're getting um, often from the customers as to how to become data-driven. What does it mean to become data-driven in, in more of a practical sense, um, right? And how does how does that help uh, move their business forward? So before I go into sort of uh, what are the reasons? If if we kind of look at how data has been used in enterprises, uh, we always use data in some form or shape. But in the in the past, it was more about looking back at what has happened and reporting on uh, the past performance, mainly financial operational data uh, used by senior executives and leaders. Right, that changed a little bit when data warehouses, visualization tool, ad hoc query capabilities uh, became widely available within the enterprise. Uh, and that sort of gave companies an ability to monitor what was going on, right? Not just look at what has already happened, but also see what was going on. Um, and then these specialist sort of role and functions that were created uh, with data analysts um, and data became a little more widely available to, to people in the company. Uh, but data was still in silos, right? You still had trouble correlating data between sales and marketing and operation and finance and so on. Uh, so the questions that were being asked of that data were still within a functional or a business unit silo, largely. I think why this, this question about becoming data-driven is coming up now is with cloud, there is tremendous uh, ability to store, process, and analyze data at scale. Uh, so you don't have to make a trade-off of what data to keep and what data to discard. Uh, and and companies are using data to really guide where they're trying to go, not just look at what has happened, not just look at what is happening now, but in some cases predict, guide, and even use uh, automated machine learning models to take action based on data. Um, and so I think the data lake and the and, and cloud has really enabled the democratization of data to everyone in the enterprise. And that's why I think today it's much more important. Um, coming back to your original question uh, as to why why that is important and why becoming data-driven is good. I think number one is it helps make high quality decisions at high velocity, right? Uh, so in one of, the, one of the shareholder letters, I think Jeff Bezos talked about uh, making high velocity decisions. I think data helps make those decisions uh, at high velocity, but they're high quality because you are integrating data in your decision making. The second, especially in a situation that uh, we are today in, um, it prepares you to respond better to unexpected, right? Enterprises cannot plan and manage the risk away or predict the risk, but uh, it's your ability to respond to unexpected using data faster. So I think that's one other key reason. The third piece is um, every company is trying to deeply understand uh, and build relationship with their customers. Uh, regardless of the type and nature of your business, um, understanding uh, and creating experiencing for your customers that will differentiate your business is critical and data plays a huge role both in building the deep understanding of that customer, but also then using that information to create new experiences. So I think those are sort of three core reasons in my mind uh, why 
becoming data driven is important. Anything? Am, am I missing anything here? What do you guys? What in your experience? What have you seen? <laughs> no, I think I think that's on point. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think one of the challenges you, you talked about a couple of things there, and there's certainly an evolution in capability, right? So, so our ability to now share data across the enterprise and, and break down these silos, it's it's much easier. And it's much more prevalent, right? Where cloud is a big part of that. But one thing that I think is worth discussing is how to make that transition, especially in terms of, you know, so a, a kind of quick story from Cox Automotive, you know, there was this vision kind of early on Hadoop, you know, was, was pretty new into the mix and it was like, Hey, let's build this data lake. We've acquired all of these companies. We can bring this together you know, data is this valuable asset and they started building this data lake and it quickly became a data swamp. And it was really just like pulling a bunch of data into a central location in the hopes that someone would find value in it and do do something with it. And it's it's like you build it, they will come, they never came. And, and I think that becomes really difficult, right? Because on the one hand, you're like, the availability of the data will lead us to something valuable. And, and part of part of it is discovery. Right. And, and, and seeing things in data that you don't know exist. And, um, but the other part is getting those business objectives out there that mm -hmm. create a more, you know, kind of cohesive objective that people can rally against, um, and work to break down the silos because there's a whole political challenge in doing so. Um, and I think that's where. I bet a lot of customers are, are struggling, right? I think it's, especially with machine learning and AI, like it, it's, I, I imagine it's not too hard to take the leap that data is really valuable and we should be doing something with, with our data. It's kind of the how that I think becomes the real challenge. Totally. I think how, how is, uh, is really the, the biggest challenge. And like you said, I think uh, the way I advise customers this, when this question comes up is, uh, there is definitely a value to a sense of wandering and discovery, right? But at the same time, you can't start data forward. You can't say, well, let's just collect a whole bunch of data and then we'll figure out what we're going to do with it. But instead, you really start with a, a hypothesis. Now, it may not be fully built out hypothesis, right? But pick a problem, an opportunity, uh, a customer use case, and then work backward from there uh, in bringing those data elements uh, have a hypothesis where you think data or machine learning can help. Build out that model with a subset of data, test it, um, and then let, again, data dictate it uh, as to, and no pun intended, but let data drive that decision to say, well, do I pivot? Do I change course? Uh, or do I need to do something different? So I agree with you, Brian, that there is, there is, there are, there are sort of this false, what I would like to call it as checklist motion, right? To say, well, if we, if we do these things, right, build uh, a data lake uh, or, you know, hire somebody with data or analytics in their title and give them a C-suite role um, or or talk about how big data is important to us, I think that will drive the change. But it really comes down to creating a data-driven culture um, and then supporting that and nurturing that uh, culture with set of capabilities. And then doing that at scale, right, so that it's not just limited to a uh, line of business, a product area, um, but it scales across your enterprise. And don't forget, you need to uh, proclaim that data is the new oil. Data is the new oil is, uh, is of course, <laughs> starts with that. 
the really interesting thing, uh, I think, uh, how we started this, um, because I think there's a subtle point here that that gets lost a lot of times, um, and and that is, you know, you can't go into this uh, like thinking you have the answers and then trying to use data to kind of back up those answers. That's not really being data driven. That's that's kind of a uh, just a form of confirmation bias. But on the other hand, you know, you can't just um, like like you were saying, Brian, just kind of build a data lake and just hope for the best, right? So I think there's kind of that 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 balance between kind of going in with with a kind of goal in mind or or questions to answer, and kind of going in with an open mind and just kind of seeing what what will happen. And there's a right way and a wrong way, like the pattern and an anti pattern to this. And I think that that's a very subtle kind of thing for a lot of people who are getting into this that um, you know they may not fully kind of grasp what the difference is. Uh, so I love that because, you know, what that what I heard was kind of what we reinforced with our teams when we're talking about building software in general, right? Which is like bring, bring the problem forward and provide the context of why the problem matters and then figure out how to solve that problem kind of as you go. And I, I think you're I think you're right. I hadn't necessarily made that connection, but approaching data in that same way and making space for that exploration as you're trying to answer a specific problem as to, you know, why is this happening or, you know, or how do we improve? this or whatever the, the question is, that's definitely feels like a, a, a great approach and a kind of a key part of getting to the right answer. Yeah, I think starting with questions, like you said, Jake, is something that I've used uh, uh, as a starting point for our data initiative, right? Simply looking at what are the questions being asked over and over again across the company uh, and then observing who is asking that question of whom, right? So because that tells you about information silos and interaction between those silos, because that's what you're trying to solve for. Um, and so focusing on questions and starting with those questions uh, is, is, is certainly one very important way to get started on the data journey. The other thing is, you know, look at Customer experience, like I was talking about, right? Uh, it, it's it could be an easy jumping off point for uh, kickstarting a data initiative, and you can really use data to improve uh, your customer experience. I mean, two two good examples from sports that I love is uh, uh, NFL with next gen stats, right? Um, and um, I have my fantasy draft coming up, uh, I think tomorrow. I'm I'm consuming as much data as possible around that, but the whole idea that as you're watching the game and and using real-time data from players, the moment, the plays, and then predicting the pass probability really brings your viewers and consumer uh, in the game, right? They are in middle of action. Uh, Formula One is another example where um, if you're watching the race, they, they collect a lot of data from the car, the sensors on the car, as well as on the track. And they use that data to build machine learning model combined with historical data that they have on the race to uh, bring viewers closer in terms of pit strategy, right? Was this the right time to make a pit stop? Was that the right approach and the strategy? Uh, or uh, what is the overtake probability of a driver making a turn and the approach that they are, they are following there? Uh, so I think these are sort of good examples where you can use data to improve customer experience and that become your starting off point to then have those conversations within the enterprise to address some of the more difficult sort of internal silos. Yeah. So Ishit, there's um, kind of a couple things that I wanted to call out on what you just said. Um, one is kind of your first point, are you uh, proposing that it's maybe 
easiest or best to start with some new value? So to your point about like the questions being asked across the organization, is it better, safer to go after something that has that a gap in the organization that hasn't been solved or tackling something that's known and demonstrating that it can be done better by, you know, breaking down the silos and, and making it more accessible and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I, I think my approach has been, and again, I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but I think because data, when we talk about data, uh, often resistance and cultural uh, norms play a big role, right? It, in fact, we talk a lot about uh, amount of data that is available, and I started out by saying processing power and, and how analytics is easy, but, but the issues are 95% of the issues to becoming data-driven are cultural, right? So mm-hmm. uh, given that, I think it is better and easier to drive that change if you start by demonstrating value on something that is either net new, uh, like, for example, improving customer experience where everyone in the company should agree, right? There should not be two ways about, well, if we were to provide fans with better next-gen stats, right, for example, in NFL or Formula One, well, there isn't any, there shouldn't be any conflict in terms of, well, this is sales data, marketing should not have access to it, or this is marketing data and finance should not look at it, right? And so on and so forth. So I think that 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 may help in terms of very quickly showing some wins to drive that change, uh, because eventually the goal is to impact that culture. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, I think that most of us might look at the next gen stats or Formula One and, and feels like a really obvious, awesome new thing. Not, not, maybe not obvious, but like such a great way to use data. But, you know, if you were to think about business benefit, you know, um, connecting dots to improve how you're servicing your customers or to make their experience when they're interacting with you more seamless, more intelligent, more proactive. You know, there's there's probably a greater willingness to embark on solving that problem. But to your point about the 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 politics, the the cultural resistance, like much harder problem to solve. And and if and by starting there, you don't have the muscle yet, right? You haven't um, learned how to to leverage the new technologies to democratize data and to to bring it in and to. Um, you know, manage access and all of those things that are required to get good at at democratizing data. Um, so I I do love the idea of starting on kind of that new, maybe innovative, customer oriented thing where like NFL is getting I think a, a ton of leverage out of that. Right? I mean, there's there's a great video from a while back that I I referenced in a couple of my presentations, and, and I'm a Patriots fan, and it was like the the Eagles beating the Patriots or whatever, and uh, it was painful to show, but but it was so awesome because you're like, look at this use of data and how how awesome this is, and I think there was a, a new video that just came out in a podcast from NFL, and um, it is it's bringing customers closer to the game, um, and creating engagement, and 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 now they can take that capability and build new things that that now improve the business itself. Mm-hmm. We talk about the NFL and, and Formula One so often, but there's so many customers out there that are um, using you know AI ML uh, to improve their business, and and some of them are not you know quite as uh, talked about. But like one of my favorite is uh, with John Deere and the future of farming. You know how they were able to reduce the amount of uh, uh, herbicides that they would use um, by actually taking like they had sensors that take pictures of plants and use machine learning to determine what was a weed and what was a plant. And they were able to kind of make it safer and more efficient. Love that example. Yeah. It's like, how did they get to that, that solution? 
you know, back to kind of my original question, did they go in thinking we could make our farming more efficient or did they put the data together and was this an insight that just an unexpected insight that came out and does it, does it really matter? I mean, I'm just kind of curious, what's the, what's the common approach here? I think personally there, there is uh, you may not know the answer, right? But there has to be some starting hypothesis to say, I do think that this information will tell me something I don't know today. And it could be one of these, say, X different possibilities, right? And then that's what you're trying to build out a model to test it. I, I, if, if I look at sort of uh, one experience to answer your question, Jake, which is again, a, a, an example that um, I love because it shows the progression that we are talking about, right? Is uh, Avis, the car rental company, right? So um, they wanted to improve the rental experience, um, but they also wanted to optimize uh, the uh, fleet management, right? So they wanted to make sure that the mileage of their cars, they're moving the fleet in the most efficient manner. Uh, Now, often you could think of these two as conflicting goals, right? Which are hard to balance, right? How can you provide great customer experience where say everybody wants a red SUV or, you know, whatever, right? And how do you also uh, make sure that you are effectively moving your inventory in the fleet? That was sort of what they were trying to do. And what they did is um, they did a field pilot at just one location uh, in Newark Airport in New Jersey. Um, And they had they had they observed the rental process in the parking lot at rental counters and they literally just collected key attributes that were going in both from a customer standpoint but also from their rental agents right uh, so what are the customers asking for model of the car the make you know the type uh what are the things that agents are looking at um and then they built out uh, a simple optimization engine just for that location to try out um, and see if using these attributes, they could actually come up with a model that will help them optimize both. Um, they learned something out of that pilot, uh, collected some more attributes to enhance that model, right? Uh, and uh, and then they uh, are scaling that across all their locations now and integrating that in their mobile app, on the rental website. Uh, so that's a good example of well, I have a problem. I don't know what the solution is. I do have a lot of data. They had a lot of data coming from car, their internal systems, external systems. Mm-hmm. But instead of boiling the ocean, let me actually observe the process from customer standpoint in one location, bring that data, build an optimization engine, and then enhance it and then scale it. I think that's the approach that I would I would take, which kind of goes with, to Brian's point earlier, how we think about product development, right? And that's the piece that I I often advise customer is mm. don't yeah. treat data as something different. It is not an mm-hmm. offshoot, right? Treat data as you would any other product. Yeah, I also think you know, kind of to your point, Jake, it's hard to get down to like how how do you decide that this is the thing you're going to optimize? I, I think it's healthy to start with some sort of broad narrowing, but uh, in terms of the the global scope of what's possible. Um, but still broad. So, you know, in the John Deere example, how do we optimize, you know, farming? Okay, well, or the costs of farming. Um, well, where are we spending our money? So now we break down, okay, well, here's where our costs are coming from in farming. And and we get to this place of, well, we spend a bunch of money on her- herbicides and how do we, you know, how do we optimize that thing? And so it, I do think a kind of a 
somewhat obvious and natural narrowing of the problem down to, okay, well, where can we dive deeper and do the exploration that Ishit's talking about? Right. Um, feels like a pretty easy and natural, you know, kind of progression to a place of value versus being like out of, out of thin air, you're like, man, what if we were to optimize, you know, uh, th this, like how much we spray, mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you put it that way. Um, you know, what I'm reminded of is kind of my, my efforts, uh, several years ago in, in kind of reducing, um, our AWS costs, um, you know, when I was a customer and, um, you know, and I didn't think of it as kind of like a data initiative, but in a way it really was because, you know, what I, what I realized was, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that kind of go into, um, how we're going to, um, be able to affect a change here, right? Like in this case, reducing our costs. And so, uh, you know, the natural thing that most customers will look at is let's, let's kind of, um, increase our reserved instances, for example. And, and, but when we looked at, and this was just a very simple thing, we actually looked at the data in our AWS bill. What we found was that, um, vast majority of our costs were not compute, but actually were block data. And so by not knowing that we were going to best case scenario only affect a very small amount of change. But by just doing that very simple thing and just getting that very simple insight is majority of our spend is in this area. By focusing on that area, we were able to create significant savings in our bill. And so while that's a very simple example, it kind of, uh, kind of goes to what you're talking about. Go in with a, with a, you know, a, a mission, um, but be kind of open minded about how you're going to accomplish that mission and be willing to course correct as the data, um, you know, shows you new things. And I think there is a way you can uh, start with a few hypotheses, right? But then incrementally build these capabilities over a period of time. I have a somewhat overly simplified uh, visual explanation of this in one of the blogs um, on our AWS Enterprise Strategy Blue called uh, how to build data capabilities, but that's a tool that I've used uh, and I've shared with uh, many of our customers is to have a visual map, right? So think about this sort of a grid where on the on the left axis uh, you have uh, sort of your key data elements to simplify revenue, cost, so on and so forth, uh, and on the vertical you have the functions that are interested or could be interested in that data, right? So finance, marketing, sales, so on. And as you start with this, let's say one hypothesis, and you figure out that, oh, now I already have, let's say in case of John Deere, I have the data around, you know, the the what we are spraying and how much we are spraying, right? Well, who else could be interested in that data? What other questions can be answered from the same data? And then it'll tell you, well, you can answer that question only if you had these three other data elements, right? So then you go after that use case. And progressively you will start to fill out that map, a visual map, and it gives you an idea to also uh, communicate it effectively, right? Because a lot of time customers are asking us to say, well, that's great. You know, I started out with hypotheses, but uh, does that mean I'm data-driven as a company, right? Uh, and that is a good visual way to show the progress of the areas of business that you're impacting uh, with data and what elements that uh, you're bringing in. So um, I think that's one way to incrementally start building it. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know why, but you made me think of um, like this idea of, of kind of trust, but verify and, and um, you know, what, what does make you data driven and, and what 
what makes your data complete and and worthy of being trusted and for what period of time versus something that that maybe reinforced your initial hypothesis but isn't true for a long period of time right and it gets it does get interesting and it's something that needs a lot of care and feeding um over time and one of the reasons why i kind of like machine learning and bringing machine learning into the mix is because it's not a static thing it is an evolving thing that is learning based on current conditions so it's definitely you know i think a kind of forever maturing thing and and like any product that we're building i think data ownership is really important that that you're revisiting your initial hypotheses after a period of time and and making sure they still hold true making sure your data is still in fact valid and, and answering the right questions and, and not leaving gaps in your your thinking. Yeah, and I think that's where data is is uh, to to Jake's earlier point, right? Uh, even though it's compared with oil, um, which I you know we all know it's it's used as a as an implied value, but it's different because it's not consumable. You know, you the more data that you put to use, the more data you actually create in process of using it, which they you can then in turn use. So it's almost like a flywheel effect. One of the things that I also say is, well, you're never done with, well, we now have all of our data. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because there is there is nothing like this is a finite universe of data. There is finite universe of oil. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. And and kind of back to the why, I think it's um, you know, it's 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 important to kind of think about, well, what's the alternative, right? Because I think we lived in that alternative for a long time, you know, um, as an industry. Um, and and the way I saw it, it was really kind of a mixture of opinions and, and randomness, you know, without in the absence of data, what are you left with? Yeah, I have a, I, I love a quote from uh, Jim Barksdale, uh, former CEO of uh, Netscape. Uh, it says, uh, if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's just go with mine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And and so true. The reason why it's funny is because it is true. That's kind of how we lived, yeah. you know, for, for, for so long. I mean, of course, we always had data, but I think it's really interesting. Ashit, you have a, a, a really cool um, slide uh, in, in your deck, in your data-driven enterprise deck, but the evolution, right? So, I mean, we've always had data, but we, we used it so much differently. Um, and I think that's the distinction you make, if I understand your your point correctly, is that um, being data driven is kind of a more proactive approach and a more real time approach um, and, and also most more open ended approach, um, because you, you don't necessarily know what the data is going to show you and what direction it's going to take you. Whereas in the past, you kind of had all these assumptions built in and, and, and a long delay built in. Um, and so uh, if, if I was kind of to explain it to an eight-year-old, you know, I think I would probably use that particular uh, page from your slide because I think it, it kind of drives that point home, especially for those that have kind of lived through it. Yep, agreed. And I think uh, one of the one of the questions that our customers are asking us quite a bit, uh, and maybe that's something that we deep dive uh, in one of our uh, future episodes is. Um, how do you create that culture, right? Because being data-driven, to your point, Jake, is being proactive, but also it's ingrained uh, across, up and down the whole, uh, whole organization uh, in how you work, right? It is mm-hmm. not a project. It is not a thing that you embark on. It involves changes at the culture, structure, people, how you think about it and make decisions at all levels, not just at the top. Uh, and so creating that culture 
talking about data literacy and data proficiency, um, I think that's something that uh, we have a lot of discussions with customers around. So something that maybe we can dive deeper into, well, what are some of the aspects of how do you create that data-driven culture? Yeah. Well, right, because I think a lot of what we've talked about today is about using the data but there's kind of the whole other side of, of the coin where you have to be thinking up front about all the things that you could be capturing, right? And and there you could be leaving a lot of data on the table that you're not even bringing forward because you're not you're not even you're not thinking ahead about what you might be able to do with it. And, and I'm not proposing the data swamp, right? But I uh, thinking back to our website days when you know we'd capture time on site and page views and all of this stuff, but we didn't actually record what people searched for. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, why are, why are we not at least recording that we can go back and get the historical, you know, view and whatever else. So I think there's, I think that culture to your point is, is critical. It's not just creating that data lake to then use, use it. It's to get everybody thinking about how important it is to the future. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a great point, Brian. And I I always talk about um, when we when we think about becoming data driven, there's so much focus on consumption uh, and putting that data to use, right? Uh, but this is why tying that very very closely with your product application strategy to capture the data, not just consume it, uh, is so much so important because how how often we still have back of the napkin transactions happening in the enterprise or some spreadsheets uh, where critical business information gets captured, but but then never actually makes through the core processes, right? And that's lost data um, that you're not putting it to use. There's so much more we could talk about. When becoming data-driven, you can't go in with the answers and think the data will support it. It's about finding the balance of going in with a goal or a question to answer, but also having an open mind to see what happens. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and remember to submit your questions on the AWS Executive Insights website or directly to us on LinkedIn, and we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.